gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. So what uh what is this place anyway? Is this some type of fancy DMV? Are you kidding? It's the Hall of Justice. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is episode 319. 319. So, yeah, that'll wake you up. I hope you're not listening to this in the middle of the night. Uh, today's episode is going to be about a movie uh, that is nominated for Oscars, for the Academy Awards, 11 nominations for this uh, film. But, you know, sometimes when I watch these movies and I see a lot of the uh, uh, award caliber movies, um, and we don't talk about it on the podcast, uh, but if you saw the film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It is uh, all the rave. It's the uh, the idea is uh, being talked about in all the film circles. And all I've said is that's a stinking comic book movie. It's a multiverse movie. And just because they're not wearing costumes is the only delineation between Evelyn and Waymond and Deidre and all the 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 people in the cast of this movie uh, it is as much a comic book movie as anything. The only difference is you're minus the comic book. So I thought it was an interesting discussion on what constitutes a comic book movie because people aren't reading comic books anymore. And so if you're an Avengers fan or a Flash fan or a uh, Captain Marvel fan, does that make you a comic book fan? And if you love this movie and say, I don't like the Avengers movies, I have to understand. Joining us now is a, a professor, an esteemed professor. I don't even know your title. I think it's just professor. I've lost all my titles. Sorry. Did you really? I did. All my titles are gone. Oh, all right. That's actually a good thing. So I'm very happy about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh Joining us uh, to discuss this is somebody who's been on the podcast before. He is a professor in the film studies division at Syracuse University. Uh, at first, I found out he taught a class about Marvel. We had him on. Then we did a podcast about where we interviewed his class, which was a real thrill uh, to do that on what college students thought of the MCU. That was a lot of fun. We've had him on from time to time, and he's become a bit of a regular here on the podcast. Uh, Kendall Phillips is with us, and uh, I saw Kendall's social media, and he was all about everything, everywhere, all at once. So I thought, what a great opportunity to reunite with my friend Kendall Phillips. Uh, first of all, thanks for doing this. And second of all, you see the the, the perplexing dilemma here. Uh, this is a comic book movie. I, I'm, I, you can't see this movie and say, this is not about superheroes and it's just not superheroes in the traditional sense 
So if you open your mind, this is as much a comic book movie as Avengers Endgame was. No, I completely agree. This is a comic book movie without a source comic book, which is fine. Um, it, absolutely. And it's interesting, actually, the, the closest I can get to an actual comic book connection is that the Daniels, the the two directors, uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner, were approached about Loki. But they were already in development of this film. So I'm not I don't think they stole the idea from Loki, but I think no, it no. just fit with their this kind of better slightly, than Loki. yeah, slightly chaotic, anarchic view of filmmaking. Um, so that is that. But I think absolutely the multiverse, which has deep roots in in comics, both DC and Marvel. The other thing that I it suddenly occurred to me was a connection, and some people might not remember this. There was a, a title, I think it was a DC title called Dial H for Hero. Mm -hmm. uh, where there was an alien watch that the heroes could dial and they would then pick up the superpowers of whatever yep. letter they picked. And that is also a kind of theme where uh, the, the main character is able to move across the multiverse and pick one of her multiverse entities and draw from it, you know, the ability to do martial arts, the ability to do something else. Sure. So there are lots of parallels there, but clearly this is a comic book movie it's also an art house movie, which is why it has 11 Oscar nominations. Well, see, but that's that's part of the, the discussion here. And that is, you know, look, I, I'm of the belief that, you know, I'll I'll sleep well at night. Uh, I don't need a broadcasting award. Like, I, I, I don't I, I don't pine for one day. I'll be honored by my industry. You should um, be, though. You should be. Sure. And so this idea that awards validate a movie doesn't necessarily hold a lot of weight to me uh you can't tell me you know some of the great uh movies you know of our of our time you know that never got consideration for for an oscar nod um you know there there have been times when i've had uh amazing experiences uh and i've and i see movies and i'm fascinated by them and they're not big you know they don't win a lot of awards um what is it about this film that appeal to academies you know the oscars the sag awards the 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 the, the golden globes the, the, the these awards because these are usually the entities that say oh spider-man's in a movie well we're not even going to consider that yeah or, or for that matter, science fiction in general or fantasy in general, those are usually well, not. And films. to that end, you know, being in SAG-AFTRA, I get all the screeners, right? So it's not the winners. You get the screeners of all the movies under consideration. And when you get those movies, it used to be DVDs. Now you just get links, you know, to, yeah. to, to watch them on an app. But when you see these films and I can show you the list of all the films that I got, there's no Batman. There's no Batman. There's no, there's no <laughs> Justice League. Those movies are, are 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 compartmentalized. So what does an Academy see in this film that says, well, this is the film that we're going to honor 11 times? Yeah. Right. 11 I, nominations. What so is, what is I, it I think about there are three movie? things. That's so. not to disparage the movie. I liked it. I, I liked it a yeah. lot, but it's a stinking comic book movie. It is. I think there are three things that really drew the Academy voters. And I'll say I'm not, then I'll add a fourth that really drew me in. But first is that this is an A24 release. So A24 is a kind of well-known art house cinema 
um, kind of production house. Their other big film before this was Hereditary, which was, you know, prestige art horror. So A24 kind of brings uh, credibility to the table, an independent spirit that obviously Disney and Marvel don't have that cachet. The second thing is, I think this was a film that cast an amazing cast of people who have never give, been given the opportunity to lead an American English language film. So Michelle Yao has been a leading actress in Hong Kong, but always a supporting actress here. So always kind of put it aside as the mother or the love interest or the side person, right? Um, same thing with Kihi Kwan, who uh, a lot of people will remember uh, from Goonies uh, and from Indiana Jones, uh, kind of marginalized, left to the side, now suddenly has his chance to come out and does an amazing uh, job. Also, James Hong. Everybody knows James Hong. He's been the old Chinese guy in virtually every film, but sure. here he gets a chance to actually act. So the casting, the third, and this is something that, you have to watch the movie multiple times. If you go back and watch the movie and you look at the different universes, each universe has a different color palette, has a different cinematic ratio, Gorgeous, um, has a yeah. different sound. Uh, you know, the, the, the soundtrack is different. And they're drawing that from lots of Hollywood and Hong Kong movies. So people who are in the industry watching everything all, everywhere all at once look at, say, the hot dog universe um, and say, oh, my God, that is drawn from all those potboiler melodrama films like Carol. Um, and they can see that in the cinematography, the sound, the way it's shot. So the Daniels are you know, very good students of film. And they took that knowledge and made a film that appeals to the masses, but also appeals to the more technical folks who can look and say, oh, wow, that's a different ratio. That's a different film stock. That's a different color palette. The fourth thing I'll add that I think drew the Academy and what drew me this is a multiverse uh, story that has heart and it has stakes and it really sure. feels like it matters sometimes more than your crisis on infinite earth or your, you know, Marvel Endgame, which can seem so bombastic and spectacular. You kind of know things are going to work out in everything, everywhere, all at once. I didn't know things were going to work out. I didn't know if they were going to work out. And when things got to their ending, it was very emotionally satisfying. Right. But I, th I think what happens there is I think we f we fall into that trope of, you know, all comic book movies turn into the same thing. I mean, nobody thought Tony Stark was going to die at the end of Endgame. No, nope. like nope. nobody. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say this for me, the best moment that Marvel has had so far is the ending of Infinity War. When, 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 the, when the snap happens after they... the snap and Thanos sits down and that little smile on his face and that screen goes black for a good long beat. Yeah. And the audience yeah, yeah. is saying, wait a minute, wait, wait. Personally, oh. I did this. I wish well, that's not what I said. I said, you just signed uh you, you just, you just made a billion dollars with black Panther. You didn't kill him. And I said, uh, you just wrestled the rights to Spider-Man from Sony. Yeah. You didn't kill him. Well, <laughs> I, and this, I mean, I think the other, because I'm a problem... cynic and I'm a jerk. <laughs> but the, but that's the the one problem with Infinity's War ending is we already knew they yep. had filmed two films. We knew there was another movie. We didn't yet know the name, but we knew it was going to be the resolution of things. Well, and to their been... credit, two thirds of the movie happens before those guys come back. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I enjoyed Endgame. And you I'm didn't not know about the five years, right. but I'm I'm. I would say the difference between Infinity War and Endgame versus a film like Everything Everywhere All at Once is because we know Disney's not leaving another couple billion dollars on the table. Like we know Infinity War will not be the end. We may have right, the emotional impact. They're not making impact. a sequel to this. 
Exactly. Everything, everywhere, all at once, we have no way of knowing. Like we are in a universe where we don't have the pre-established rules. Now, that's not to say to be critical of Marvel or DC or places where there are these bigger storylines and bigger character arcs, et cetera. I love that. That's why I love comic books. But it is emotionally different when you have a film where you don't know, is this going to work out? Right. Because it could well just end and end. And that would be, you know, I mean, there's no need for the film to resolve. Whereas even with Tony Stark's death at Endgame, which is impactful and super emotional and, and a great way to end, we still know the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to have a next chapter and a next chapter and a next chapter. I, I, that's fair. I, I'm not disagreeing uh, with with what you're saying. My my argument is more about we sell the comic book movie short. Because there's costumes involved. No, I, I, um, to me the parallel. I, I, I'll, I'll use an animated. Yeah. I'll use an animated example. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm. You know sure. when 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 Bruce Wayne goes to his parents' graves and asks them for a sign that it's okay if he doesn't go on this path to become essentially Batman because it doesn't hurt and he fell in love. Yeah. Uh, what what's what's not cinematic about that? Uh, you know, there's a there's a scene in uh, uh, the Flashpoint Paradox, the Justice League uh, Flashpoint Paragra Paradox, where Barry Allen goes and creates an alternate uh, universe and he meets Thomas Wayne in that universe. Bruce Wayne was the guy that was killed and Thomas Wayne avenges the loss of his wife and son and becomes this vigilante uh, Batman. And before the Flash turns everything right again. Uh, and goes back to the original history, uh, Thomas Wayne writes a note to Bruce. And the Flash uh, enters the Batcave and, and sees Bruce Wayne sitting there in his Batman costume and gives him this note from Thomas Wayne. And Bruce Wayne starts crying. And it's amazing voice acting by the late, great Kevin yeah. Conroy. And just this idea of, like, you can get that emotional trigger so i i just i don't want to say as as heartfelt as everything everywhere all at once is i that's not the first time i've ever seen emotion i that's what i'm saying like i've seen no this argument here no argument here i i think it's more about the stigma and take the movies for what they are that's, that's all you know, look at it, and it doesn't have to be a superhero movie. Look at Inside Out, or uh, uh, um, you know, Frozen. You know, these movies. These movies have some legitimate heart, and they get knocked because they come from this studio. I I think you're right. I will say, I suppose the other part that people, you know, I think Academy of Voters are very much aware of is that an Academy nomination or an Academy win is going to probably boost your box office, right? So everything, everywhere, all at once, which which did very well, $104 million global, highest uh, grossing A24 film in their short history. And yet it will probably come back out. It will probably get a lot more attention from folks who didn't see it saying, oh, look at all these Academy. And if it wins, it'll certainly get that attention. Whereas- I did notice it's on Showtime and it wasn't on anywhere else. Yeah, no, I suspect it'll get another release. And and this typical, and again, a lot of like Movie Tavern and other places are now rolling out saying, hey, come, you can watch all the Academy uh, Best Picture nominations. A film like Wakanda Forever doesn't need that bump. 
Now, I'm not, I personally, I thought Wakanda was forever deserved a nomination for best picture. I think it deserved a nomination for best director. I was disappointed that it didn't get either. Um, Wakanda forever the, deserved a, a, a nomination for best picture. I do. I do. And I wow. definitely think for best director, because for Ryan Coogler to pull off a Marvel action film that still hits all the beats of a Marvel action film while wrapping it in a consistent tone of grief. Let's be honest. The typical action film would have had five minutes at the beginning of, oh, T'Challa's dead, and then they would have launched into action and moved past. That's what Fast and Furious did. That's what any number of other franchises have done. Oh, sad, death, oh well, and they move on. But the entirety of Wakanda Forever was wrapped up in processing grief and mourning, and that is... To pull that off and still have audiences show up, hands off to Ryan Coogler. Impressive, impressive. Right. Oh my God, I can debate this with you. Um, my blood is starting to boil. Um, let's do this. Uh, let's table that Black Panther discussion and get back to everywhere, everything all at once because let's do another podcast where we debate the virtues of Black Panther Wakanda forever. Well, in another part of the multiverse, Seth is watching a perfect right. Black Panther and That's is right. very, very happy. But That's in right. this multiverse, I'm sorry to say, uh, we got the movie we got. <laughs> That's right. Well, and in speaking of multiverse, you know, uh, this summer uh, they're going to have the the Flash movie, and supposedly they're going to go into all different multiverses uh, in a Flashpoint kind of uh, theme, and you know, just the the idea of that. And like I said. What I would love to know is somebody to say, wow, that Flash movie was confusing. I'd be like, yeah, did you see everywhere, everything all at once? No, like me, I, th this can be the gold standard for multiversal storytelling. And great. Yeah. Show I mean, that. I, I think what I loved about the, everything, everywhere, all at once was that it was confusing. And yet, ultimately, yeah, it's, it's really confusing. It, it, ultimately, to me, at least, ultimately, it pulled together. And by the end of it, you really get it. And I kind of like films that at times don't cater to you, that say, like, you're going to have to come along and trust us. You're going to get there in the end. But I'd say the other thing for me that I, I find quite interesting, you know, again, as a kind of bigger cultural, is we are in a weird moment where multiverse is such a trend in popular culture, right? Certainly, we had the Marvel. We've, we've had it in D.C. Now we're going to have it in the D.C. movies. We've already kind of had it with the the TV shows. Um, Rick and Morty is a multiverse show. Yeah, Everything Everywhere big, All at Once. Mul mul multiverse. Um, yeah, multiverse the, the Arrowverse. Yeah, you referenced TV, like the Arrowverse. They had, you know, different Earths and, uh, you know, they had their, their their crisis on Infinite Earth, which I still think is a a a, a marvel. It's a coin yeah. of phrase. Uh, just an absolutely amazing thing. And, and again, it just... The idea of a multiverse, it opens up a can of worms, you know, to have it. I remember that opening scene of the crisis when you saw Robert Wool um, from the, the, the 1989 yeah. Batman series. And then you saw Burt Ward from the 1996, 1966 yeah. Batman series. And, you know, you had all these uh, different worlds on there and they're all colliding. And I thought, what a genius idea on a television budget. No, absolutely. And they did a great job of kind of picking those kind of smaller characters, immediately recognizable. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think it's quite interesting. When that Gustin meets Ezra Miller. Oh, that's For me, 
part of it is clearly fan service. And I think that was certainly the case with the, the, the Arrowverse. It was, I think it's also the case with the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Certainly the case with No Way Home, where it's like, oh, we'd really love to see Tobey Maguire and Andy, Andrew Garfield and, and uh, you know, the new kid all there on the screen together. Yes, there's fan service. But there's also something I think there has to be something deeper in the culture because we keep finding ourselves attracted to stories of a multiverse. And while we've often been attracted to alien worlds or attracted to time travel going back in the past or going into the future, this is a moment where we're not looking for time travel. We're looking to move to a different world. And I just wonder yeah. what that says about us as a culture that suddenly, I don't know, we just all want to hit the exit button and say, I, I want to try a different, I want a different Kendall who, who's not living this life, who's living some other right. life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Who created a, a, you know, a different kind of podcast. <laughs> that, that, That's right. Yes. I want a different Kendall who's posting something, you know, pop culture happy hour instead of pop life. I, I want to be at the NPR mothership instead. No, the, but I think, I mean, I do. I think all of us are living and it's interesting that we're at a moment where we are all suddenly wanting to see these stories where, and, and you're right to the point, the danger to me of a multiverse story, particularly in a kind of Marvel situation, is the more complicated and expansive the multiverse is, you end up, again, to go back to Rick and Morty, which I know is, uh, you know, kind of problematic at the moment because of some of the creator issues. But, you know, Rick and Morty has the right attitude. If everything is infinite and there's infinite numbers of me, none of me matters, which is yep. a point that everything everywhere all at once gets to in a really more, I guess, a more profound emotional sure. way, whereas Rick and Morty is at least overtly quite cynical about that. Let's talk for a moment before we uh, wrap this up uh, about the uh, amazing cast. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, who has been on in so many things. You know, I was looking back. She was in, obviously, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, she was in James Bond, Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, she was in Shang-Chi uh, with Crazy Rich Asians. Guardians of the Galaxy, she had a cameo in. Yeah. Um, she was in Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which is coming out. Um, she's just in a, a, amazing things. And she was so brilliant that you saw the movie through her eyes. No, and that, I mean, to me, it goes back to the point earlier. This took Michelle Yao, who's always been on the edge of our screen and put her right in the middle. And boy, did she pull it off because if she doesn't play that part, as straight as possible in the sense of like taking this seriously as if this matters, as if living with hot dog fingers is perfectly normal and you fall in love with hot dog fingers. And that's part of how you love someone. If she can't pull that off with an emotional sincerity, this whole movie just becomes a, a silly farce and it goes straight to video. Right. That's right. Uh, the other uh, members of the cast that are just uh, uh, brilliant. Kihi Kwan amazing kihi kwan has just been again a, a person who is a child star like so i mean the minute i saw him i was like goonies i remember him um but yeah he wow. was also in uh indiana jones right yeah yeah from the indiana jones film and yet again such versatility to be able to play these different versions of himself with believability uh, you know, the way so I really he believed... would be in the elevator talking to her and all of a sudden change yeah i am from a multi-dimensional <laughs> Like, I want the Alpha Kendall to come in because clearly I'm not living my Alpha Kendall life. I want the Alpha Kendall to come in and kick some butt and take care of things. Um, so absolutely, you know, the versatility to me, again, you know, thinking about the 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 cast and clearly Stephanie Hsu is a big part of it. To me, it goes back to James Hong. James Hong has literally been in everything. He's been in everything. But boy, he actually has an arc. He he his reconciliation with his daughter is so emotional. And you look at these people and you say, 
that talent has been on the screen all this time. Why hasn't someone really used it like this film does? Yeah, you know, you look at James Hong, uh, his his career, and he just just the superhero stuff. Uh, he was in the Bionic Woman. Uh, he was in uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, he was in the Dukes of Hazard. Um, he's in he's in everything. I mean, everything. Uh, he was on Friends. He was on the A Team. He was on Magnum PI. Um, Jake and the Fat Man. Uh, Dookie Hauser. Lois and Clark. Uh, the New Adventures of Superman. Um. He was on Spawn, uh, the the animated Spawn yep. series from Todd McFarlane that I love. Uh, he was in Teen Titans, the animated series. Um, I just, I mean, just incredible, incredible body of work. I mean, you could do a whole podcast just on his career. No, amazing. And yet, you know, to me, always the old Chinese guy who's yeah, wise yeah. or funny or cracking, etc. I like when he says to John Favreau and friends. <laughs> No boom, boom before a big fight. <laughs> but here he gets a chance to actually be a character. Yeah. And, you know, and again, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier, Crazy Rich Asians, Crazy Rich Asians and, and probably Shang-Chi let Hollywood know, hey, audiences around the world will go see an Asian cast. Like we don't immediately see an Asian cast. You have to make go, it nope, good. Right. Right. You just have to make it good. You have to make it believable and connect. Mm -hmm. And clearly, you know, this film did so. Well, you know, and that's part of the interesting aspect of this this movie and just the idea that uh, if you told this story without the the idea that they are immigrants and they, they own a laundromat, you know, you just you factor all of that in. And I just wonder if there's drafts of that movie where they had different backgrounds, different backstories, you know, maybe before they were cast. Uh, who knows? Um, I, I just think that it, it, it adds something. Um but it's just, you know, the analogy that I made after I saw it is, um, you know, oh, that's it's an amazing Asian style story movie. Um, just kind of like I saw Parasite, which Parasite's a messed up movie. That yeah. is a psycho <laughs> yeah. movie. Uh, this to me is a lot easier on the eyes. Like this is a lot easier film to 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 see. Yeah, a lot more fun and kind of draws on that Hong Kong action style. And so there's, you know, again, I think part of it, and I believe the directors have talked about part of their initial impulse was, can we make a movie where we have lots of different fighting, but all different fighting styles? And it became you know, kind of wrapped up in this. Well, if we have a multiverse where people are drawing on different things, every multiverse is going to have a different kind of action, different kind of feel. And then the idea kind of goes from there. So it's again, for those listening to the podcast, you maybe haven't seen the film want to reinforce it's not just that it's emotional and meaningful and complicated it is fun like it is a fun funny film it's i really laugh so yeah. much through this film um and in my office all around i have little googly eyes uh, all over the place like to me <laughs> those googly eyes uh, i was going to put them all over campus but someone told me to stop because it's vandalism so i stopped but i you know but in the trailer in the trailer i didn't know what they were i thought it was like third eyes and in the movie, you see that they're just these googly eyes that she puts on her forehead. I, it, it, in the trailer, it was totally deceptive. And I was like, what in the world is yeah. this? Like, it's it's a wild movie. That's all I can say is it's it's a really wild movie. And everybody references the um, the, uh, the the hot dog hands. Uh, the way the way they did that, that, that was brilliant. What a what an idea. And what I'd love to know is, like, what is the writer's room like? <laughs> when they're designing that. I know everybody talks about the production value. 
And I look the it, it's a it's a gorgeous movie, but to me it's it's always about the writing. And I just just the idea that they wrote that and why. Well, I mean, the Daniels write their own stuff, so this was them. And and people, if you really want to go down a weird rabbit hole, people should go check out their first feature film that I was fortunate enough to see at Sundance uh, quite a few years ago, Swiss Army Man, um, which is a very long, very strange movie about a corpse. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Again, I think, you know, with that film, as well as with everything, everywhere, all at once, in some ways, the less you know, the more it's like, what in the world is this thing? Um, but they are clearly a little bit warped, a little bit cracked, and yet somehow they're able to pull off way, zany, wacky, weird, surreal things with heart. And in the end, you walk away feeling emotionally towards a rock. Now, there are not many movies that can make me look at a rock and feel an emotional See, connection, but this one did. Like This one did. And I don't mean the rock. I mean a rock, like that physical. That's right. It's a rock. And, and the, the rock comes out of the, And the two rocks are talking to each other, and then they can move. It's just... It's and you love them and you love them and you and you root for those rocks more than I've yeah. ever rooted for the rock. I've rooted for these rocks. Um, so, again, I, folks have not seen it. I, I encourage you to sit down and, and, and get find it if it's in a movie theater. I think it would well, be so much better on the big clarify screen. that for me. Um, you know, people who listen to this podcast, I would say there's a huge chunk of, of people who are listening to this that say, you know what? Uh, I wasn't going to see this movie a because I don't you know, I I, I, I want to see Avengers or B um, it sounds really complicated. And that's been the, the, the hesitancy. And I, when I've talked about this film, all I say is uh, don't multitask, like put your phone down. You have to, you have to watch the screen. And for me, that's really hard, you know, because a lot of times I'll watch things. Uh, I, I don't mean to, uh, to, to be rude to, to this movie, but I saw the movie uh, 80 for Brady. I saw a screener oh. copy on my computer and I, I think I wrote sportscast while or I edited a podcast while I, I saw it. Like it, it's, it's cute. And you know, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Rita Moreno and they're, they're, they're icon Sally Fields an icon. And you know, I can't hate Tom Brady enough, but this, this idea that, you know, there's movies out there that you can just have on in the background and do something. This is not that kind of movie. No, and I really encourage people, especially, you know, with the Oscar nominations, it's probably going to roll back out to theaters. And so if you're in an area where you have the good fortune of having a, a movie screens that are dedicated to some Oscar films or an Oscar nominated films, find this on the big screen. It will keep you focused as opposed to on your phone or on your iPad or on your laptop, which you do need to pay attention. But it also is going to give you how beautiful this film is. And I think if you let it have its moment, it's going to pull you in. I think particularly for comic book fans, we are used to alternate realities. Like that's not shocking to people who love DC or Marvel. So come at it with that approach, but then ease into its weird, wacky world. And I think, again, I think people, well, I, I think you'll love it. Let me know. Yeah. I, I, I want to see it again with people who are seeing it for the first time. My wife has not seen it yet and I know she wants to. And uh, I just well, all I told her was you have to pay attention. <laughs> it's yeah. really complicated, um, and it's psychedelic, man. It's a it's a it's a trip. This this whole movie is uh, quite a trip, and it starts off so diminutively, and then all of a sudden turns into this holy moly wild ride, and you just you don't know when to get off. You you just you just keep going, and as. Uh, Evelyn, Michelle Yeoh's character, 
is shocked by all of this, so are you. She is really the heart and soul. And I would say the other part of this, as much as it's wacky, it's zany, it's hilarious, it's a big cosmic adventure that goes all the way to the center of the universe and, and has the potential for being the end of the universe. So like, if you like your big uh, cosmic consequences, you've got to hear <laughs> the other part. And, and the directors tell a story of they kept telling the cat, reminding the cast, this is a family drama. As much as things are weird and wacky and you want to just laugh out loud, it is ultimately about family. So there is a real heart, which takes me back to, if we go back to the comic book side, back to that title that really made Marvel what Marvel is, the Fantastic Four. And it wasn't that they had superpowers. That wasn't new. It wasn't they were that they were a team. That wasn't new. It's that they were this weird found family that get thrown together and have squabbles and tensions and love each other and hate each other and frustrate yeah. with each other. And so I think this movie, for the comic book fan, recaptures that, that sense of awkward, flawed humans who suddenly find themselves in weird situations and they try to make it work. And in fairness, isn't that what we're all doing? <laughs> it's, it's, it's remarkable. Remarkable. Jamie Lee Curtis, we didn't uh, mention. She is, uh, she is uh, I mean, unbelievable. Unrecognizable. No, I, I to be honest... It was because I saw this film without knowing a whole lot about it. I just heard about it. I thought, I don't want to find out. I just want to go see it. Did you I see it in the theater? I did see it in the theater. Yeah. So yeah, relatively soon after yeah. it started rolling out, I got to go to a theater and see it. I had heard of it and I thought, I don't want to know too much. I'm going to go in. At the end of the movie, as the credits were screening, I said to my wife, I thought Jamie Lee Curtis was in this. And she said, she was in this. What do you mean? I, I literally crazy. did not recognize yeah. her. Oh, I literally. So if you love Jamie Lee Curtis, if you're a big Halloween fan, um, you will see her amazing performance. And, you know, in a way that you don't expect to see Jamie Lee Curtis, which, again, I love about all this actors in this film. They are actors doing their craft as opposed to just right. being a stereotype. Oh, this must have been like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis sees this script and just goes, where can I sign? Yeah. Like, how do I how do I get this? Uh, I just you can just imagine uh, what that would be like. There, there are movies out there that you can feel. There are movies out there that I'll feel like I'm watching a work of art, and that I, I, I don't relate to it. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. A uh, Nomadland is an example. Sure. I just that that's not my world. You know that that's not something. This is entirely my world, and I couldn't keep up. I had to pause it. I, I, I paused it, and I was like, what? And I rewatched certain scenes as I was watching it. And then I saw it again. <laughs> I again, I saw a screener copy, so I never saw it in the theater. And I just I couldn't get a hold of it. And it was funny because the more and more people were talking about it and it was getting all these nominations. I kept seeing people on uh, uh, social media saying how great this movie was. You were one of the people I saw how great this movie was. And I was like. It was great. Like, of course it was great. I thought I was the only person that knew that. And yeah. it, you know, it's it's getting this this interesting recognition and it goes back to the initial conversation that we had, which is, you know, we're blurring the line between what is a, a, a an awards movie versus a, a superhero movie. And, you know, you're see you're seeing things like that, you know, things like the boys and uh, uh, the Umbrella Academy and uh, Doom Patrol and it just just all all these things that are out there that are as art house as art house gets. I mean, there's there's some stuff that you need to be physically stoned in order to uh, enjoy. 
Uh, it's just, it, it's wild. And uh, everywhere, everything all at once is a hell of a ride. And I, I was excited to do this podcast. I really was. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk about it. And again, I recommend people go see it. I say, don't worry too much about following all the complexities of the plot. Go see it in a theater immerse yourself in it follow your heart i i promise at the end it all comes together and then you can watch it again and again and again to make more sense of all these multiverse well, connections it, and it also is give out your social media so they can ask you questions while they're uh, while, while they're watching this movie if you have a question if you're at the like the 36 minute mark of everywhere everything all at once everything everywhere all at once uh tweet at uh what, what's your what's your twitter I am at Dark Projections That's right. on Twitter, and I'd also say if you're if you if you uh, want to hear more of my melodious voice, I'm also host of uh, Pop Life for W A E R. Yep. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and all the other major platforms. Yeah, it's a great podcast, and uh, you guys do you guys do some really really uh, neat things uh, on that. It's a, it's it's like genre adjacent. And we have great guests like Seth and other folks yeah, to come talk right. to us about uh, comic books and everything else. So that's that's right. Uh, Kendall, thanks so much. We'll talk to you real, real soon. Uh, again, the film is out. It's uh, I, I think it's limited in theaters, but it's uh, it's on Showtime, uh, and you can download the Showtime app. I know that uh, Amazon Prime was doing a promotion for Showtime for like a dollar ninety nine for a couple months. Uh, you can see this movie. That I, I saw this movie. Uh, it's a hell of a film. That's the best way to describe it. It's a wild, wild ride. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, check it out. Uh, next week, we are talking about The Flash, Season 9. Uh, Eric Wallace, the showrunner for the last four years, I believe, uh, he is going to rejoin the podcast to give us a preview of what we can expect. And we will ask the question, does this Season 9 tie into The Flash movie coming out after season nine ends isn't that interesting the way that come ezra miller uh, had a cameo in uh, the arrowverse uh, does grant gustin appear in the flash movies we'll talk about that next week here on the hall of justice we'll see you then Believe it or not.